North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Well, welcome back, Gary. Had a good week, mate? Not a bad one. Yeah. Yeah, another beautiful week in Waitaki. Always good to talk about the weather, isn't it? In oh, Waitaki. it's just I'm talking about everything about Waitaki. Yeah. Hey, um, yep, so you've made the announcement on this podcast live that you're running again for Mayor of Waitaki. That's great. We've had a good, lot of good feedback about that, so thank you for um, doing that live on air with us. <laughs> Least I could do. Yeah. Hey, I um, really enjoyed Wynn's podcast last week. Yeah, no, yeah. interesting guy, a lot of, lot of great stories and so forth, and, and hearing a bit more about some of that detail about uh, Rusty Robertson and some of the other antics and so on and people involved with. Good to see how the community back then really rallied behind them and mm. supported them. And as we still have that in the community. North Dago, Almaru, uh, just a great place to live. Um, very supportive community. And it just goes right throughout, right up the valley, down to Palmston. We've got some good people. Is that right? Absolutely. Totally good. right. On that note, we have someone who's got an amazing story today. Would you like to introduce her? Yeah, no, it's, it's a real pleasure to introduce uh, today's podcast uh, person, and uh, that's Kelly Williams. Kelly is a councillor at the moment on the Waitaki District Council, so um, got to know her uh, quite a lot more through that um, interactions at, uh, around the council table, um, but she's got so much more to her. Um, you know, she's a, a local business owner um, and real estate agent uh, side of things, but she's also got the her, her history as um, a Combat helicopter pilot. That's so, incredible, eh? Yeah. So combat I think, helicopter pilot. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you don't run into a lot of those around the place. So it's, um, it, you know, we're looking forward to just hearing some of the tales about some, you know, where she got to, you know, around the world. What what did she do? What, what did it actually mean? Um, you know, was it just peacetime or was yeah. it more involved? Well, the good thing about this is when I'm, uh, a few friends read that article in the newspaper, which was good for us, um, and I've had quite a few people come up and said, have you thought about these, these people? And I had one mate come up and said, you've got to interview Kelly Williams. She's got one of the best stories out there as far as being a chopper pilot. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thank you so much. So, right, you've set the bar high now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you just have such a fascinating and really good story. And um, this guy, to be fair, he was in the army and he loves all that kind of stuff. But it's just an interesting story. And I think um, not a lot of North Otago know what you've done and um, how far you uh, you went with the Air Force and what you achieved. And it's just, yeah, we're excited to hear it, hear it today. So start off, you were born in Omaru, grew up in Omaru, and then you left for the Air Force, or how did that work? Absolutely. So always a North Otago girl. Um, generations worth of North Otago people, of course, so related to many people around town. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so grew up, uh, went to Awamoa Primary School. And, yeah, I was just a very ordinary kid, um, intermediate, onto um, Waitaki Girls High. Um, I never did that brilliantly at school. I was certainly nothing to that stood out from the crowd. Sport-wise or anything like that? Did Absolutely you? nothing. No. no. Oh. I was a horse rider. Yeah, so yes. horse riding takes up most of your time. Um, I dabbled in the odd sport and did, um, you know, there's no way any of my teachers would sit there and say that I was going to go on and do what I did. There's no, no chance, no. <laughs> so the, the horse side, that was obviously important for your family. I think... Um, you know, it wasn't just you and the family that was involved with horses. But no, that's right. Yeah, so were you competitively riding? Yeah, absolutely. So um, at first I was a very accident-prone child, so they wouldn't let me ride horses, my parents. Um, so Lisa and Paula, my sisters, they both were um, given horses and given everything that went through it, uh, went with it. But I ended up fighting my way into riding horses. I basically just started riding a friend's horse and just uh, got all the secondhand gear and just started doing it. But I'm probably the one that went furthest in the end. So, yeah, I did um, – I was tow trip pony club 
and um, and I did the Springston Trophy a few times. So mm-hmm. yeah, probably two or three times. I'm not quite sure, but it was, in those days it was huge. Yeah, it's, yeah, massive event. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And so, so what were your achievements? Um, well, most of the time I would do brilliantly, but there was always one spectacular fall. Uh, <laughs> I honestly was very accident prone as a child. If something could happen, it would happen to me. Um, right. So I'd, I'd be like in a really great position um, on the leaderboard till the end and then something ridiculous would happen just to take me out. Sanitized. So I think as a, and as a team we did really well one year. I don't think we won. We might have got third as a team. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's pretty pretty impressive too, going by how many people would, would take part in that yeah. over the years. It was very uh, – definitely, um, yeah, I had a lot of pride in my horse riding mm. years, yeah. Very good. So you left school and you were just going to kick round or would you always want to go into the Air Force? I can promise you I was just going to kick round. So um, uh, very interesting how I fell into the Air Force. Um, it was an interesting time. 1992, they pretty much um, fiscally weren't going to run. You know, a lot of money had been taken off um, – away from the forces, and so they weren't actually going to hold a recruit course. But before I even got to that stage, I actually had no interest at all in going to the Air Force. I wasn't interested in university. I, my family wasn't overly wealthy at that time, and um, so university wasn't um, really an option. So I had a friend that said she wanted to join the Army, and she wanted to become a chef. And um, and then she um, then we had the Air Force recruiter coming to town, and so we're, she was like, oh, well, I'll just go and – see them and give it a go. And so, um, and I was like, what is all this Air Force stuff? And so she introduced me to it. Um, we both tried out and unfortunately the trade she went for didn't get in, but they decided at the last minute, and I mean the last minute, to hold, um, to put a, a recruit course together. There was only, usually a recruit course would have about 120 people. Um, the When I joined it was only 30 people. So um, I I didn't even know what I was applying for. They sort of talked me into applying as an accounts clerk. And um, I pretty much had a week's notice and I'd never even been on a plane before. And I just remember my parents taking me (laughs) to the airport. I can't remember in those days whether it was Omaru Airport or Tamaru, but I just remember like basically one moment I was a small town Omaru girl and next thing I was chucked on a plane and off to insanity. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It and was, so you had to go through basic training and all yeah, of that? absolutely. How I had hell on earth. You You'd just, be wondering what you were doing there. Completely. Do you want to quit many times or uh, you, you, you're know, quite determined though? If you, It's really difficult to say. Am I Was I determined or was I na- naive? I honestly yeah. have no idea how I did it. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I kind of am, am at the point these days where I just break things down to one day at a time. You just get through, no matter how hard it looks. If you yeah. thought too far ahead, you just wouldn't do it. You'd yeah. absolutely not do it. Mm. Yeah, but I guess, um, you know, going back to the horse riding, I mean, you know, that's not always easy to get the discipline right in that. And, you know, you need to be have a certain amount of determination and, you know, just get on with it. So. Obviously I guess if I'm you determined. applied that, yeah. 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 <laughs> Obviously it's in me somewhere, I just don't actually, like, realise it. <laughs> yeah, you hide it very well. <laughs> so, yeah. But you went there to be an accounts clerk. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, that's a little bit different to hopping in a helicopter seat. Yes. So so what happened to get you from one to the other? I was um, an, what they called in those days an accounts clerk certificate trainee. So fortunately, I must have blitzed the tests Um they put me through so a thing called um, or the New Zealand Diploma of Business in those days. So I did one year in the Air Force. So the first year was um, three months training. Then I did my three months clerk account course, um, a little bit of um, on the job training at various bases. And then you did one full year at um, Christchurch College of Education. So basically that was when Wigram was still open. So I lived there and did that. And then Went away again, um, so the third year in the Air Force, I was um, another three-month accounts clerk course and working on base and then back for another full year at Christchurch College of Education, which is the year that Wigram closed. So they basically left us students there. The base was gone and we were basically just civvies for a year getting paid to be students. It was incredible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there was interesting times because a lot of, lot of change happening in the in the Air Force and, yeah. and the Armed Forces generally. Totally. To be fair, if your story ended there, I'd, 
I don't know if you would have been on the podcast today. <laughs> and now we're having our, cl- our counts clerk coming in. Bring it on. So, yeah. <laughs> no offence to any accounts clerk. I was a pretty flash well, yeah, accounts yeah. clerk, no. Unless you, you know, help, you know, one of the mafia embezzle money or something, <laughs> you know, that might be a good story. But I, how did you cross over? What so was the change? Did, did, did they I give you a the helicopter course. ride? No, did you accidentally sit no, in the wrong seat? Absolutely yeah. not. I topped the course. So the whole Christchurch College of Education. So I won the top business graduate prize. So I like surprised myself with my level of brain power, basically. And I surprised the Air Force too, I think. So at that point, I finished, I started doing my job as an accounts clerk and I was like, what the hell have I done? And I had a return of service of three years. As you know, at that age, whatever age I was, three years is a hell of a long time. Mm -hmm. I was not, you know. (laughs) So I started to look at what else I could do. And um, I thought, I'm good at maths, obviously. And so I said to the Air Force, "Um, how about I look at becoming a navigator? And they said, why would you look at becoming a navigator? Just try for pilot, and if you don't make it, you fall back into becoming a navigator. So I went, okay, (laughs) and I gave it a go. Did you warn them then that you could be, um, what did you say at the start, um, accident prone, or did they, you, you keep I that I think quiet? it was reasonably yeah. obvious by, yeah. by that stage I'd been in for four years, they knew. They knew, you yeah. 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 They knew. So, yeah. Yeah, sorry, so keep telling us about that Okay, journey. so um, I, it was tricky. Like, you've got to think, I left here 18, I pretty much, you grow up in the Air Force. It wasn't an easy road, I wasn't... Um, a perfect um, candidate for doing this sort of thing. I had had a bit of character and been in a wee bit of trouble over my first four years. Um, so there's lots of stories that go with that too. Like I, I was literally um, probably one of the few women that have ever been on charge. Um, I had for what? Um, Are you allowed to say? Or for sure. That, yeah. yeah. Like the the difficult stories, but um, well, you don't have to share. The first time I got on charge for. Um, i just finished recruit course, and we ran through uh, GSTS Barracks, which is the General Service Training School where all the cadets are. And so I got seven days confined to barracks. When you're confined to barracks, you get have to move rooms, okay? So um, they basically made me move into a whole other block. And I was the only female at the time on, they call it jankers. Everything's got a code word in the military. but So I was the only female there, but I was on charge with about three other guys, and so they were in the same block. Um and anyway, if we finished our seven days, basically you work in overalls with a white belt on. You just look like an absolute idiot. Yeah. Um, you get made to do these stupid jobs. Like some of them are quite interesting. I had uh, I got to polish Skyhawk windows one night. Um, maybe guard the armory or something like that. Um, but you know, you do all of these crazy things. But then the moment we finished the seven days jankers, I went to visit the three guys that I'd been on charge with, and. Basically, um, I, I visited them in the room, you know, in the area that I'd just been staying in, and there was some corporals there that night doing an inspection, and next thing they were like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, just picking up my friends to go to the club for a drink, you know? And they were like, next thing, I was just taken away, and I was put on charge again for another 21 days, this time all alone, <laughs> so for going into a male barrack block that I'd just been living that in. That you'd just been living in for Precisely, days. yeah, right. precisely. Yeah. So um, so that time I had to do 21 days alone um, doing this jankers thing, looking like an absolute idiot. You know, I was 18 years old walking around base and overalls and, you know, going into an admin office to work still. Um, it was quite horrific. So I became quite famous in the Air Force very early on for being, um, you know, someone that didn't um, necessarily... A offender. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... I pretty much got told um, by people that were in charge of me that if I didn't start behaving myself, I'd have, you know, I wouldn't have a career in the Air Force. So I guess there was something in me that made me want to prove people wrong. And so that's what started to happen. And, um, yeah, so when they offered me the pilot thing, not many people might start pilot course and actually make it through. So we had 13 start hours and only five of us made it. It's it's very, very difficult. Um, you start with officer training, of course, as your first step, because I was a um, non-commissioned officer and became a commissioned officer. So that in itself is quite a horrible adventure. But from there, pilot's training. It's not just learning to fly. Of course, there's um, survival training and all sorts of things that make up a part of that. So I could talk about some of those, but I don't know... <laughs> How much detail you'd like me to go into today? Well, what's what's some of the what, 
What was the toughest part of that training, I suppose? This survival training. Yeah. <laughs> survival so, training So what do they do? Um, starvation, um, pretty much you don't know when you're going to be fed. You live in the same clothes for, let's say, 10 days, unshowered. <laughs> um, you go out to the bush and build yourself a shelter. The first time you'll be in a shelter maybe for um, uh, two nights with a bunch of four um, got to have your fire going 24-7, so sleep deprivation all thrown in there as well. Um, then you've got and, – and how you start all this off is by jumping out of a plane with a, attached to a bungee cord, you know, to do a parachute sh- drop into the harbour. So you're cold and wet when you start all of this. Um, my one was the middle of winter. Um, it You're living in – they did give us some wet weather gear, but you, by the time you peel – you're peeling them off your body at the end. It is absolutely vile. But so four people, goes down to two people in a shelter, goes down to just you at your, by yourself in the end. Um, so you're so exhausted. Mm. And you're building a shelter out of ferns. The only thing you've got to eat is um, ferns by that stage, like you're eating the panga. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. You get a bit of nutrients from it, or they're not very tasty. So even by that stage, you just choose starvation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, we had to kill a rabbit. They gave us a rabbit to kill. I remember doing that. Um, So they handed it to you and said, "There we go." Yeah, yeah, just to prove that you could do it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. You had to kill the rabbit. Yeah, it was a white fluffy bunny rabbit too. Should we put a disclaimer out now? Yeah, sorry. We don't endorse. Oh, uh, look, it's the circle of life. But, but that's yeah. interesting. So what were they trying to do? Were they trying to break Take you, you to or your limit. You, yeah. Take you to your absolute limit. So um, we, what was your limit? What? Oh, that last night, I, I remember lying there. It was pouring with rain. I was lying in my um, yellow banana, you know, that wet weather gear over top of my everything, um, flying overalls and stuff, just lying there. I remember they come around and check on you. Um, but I was broken. <laughs> I remember lying there with water. I was in water because, of course, my hut failed. Ferns can't stop <laughs> a hell of a lot. And I just remember sobbing. My fire had gone out. <laughs> there was nothing I could do. Um, they pulled us out in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. It was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I guess that's, yeah, it's it's proving to people them, themselves, you know, what can they take and yeah. then, Yeah. So I can see why they do it, and but so uh, yeah, you, you just you just need to be ready, I suppose, for, for whatever so might happen tough. to you yeah. when you're out on a mission. But the thing in this day and age, that's how we would say it's not very PC, you know, pushing you to rate. They still do it that way, or do they no. offer you later? Do they, you know, can you go talk to a counselor or a shrink about why you broke, or is it just um, you suck it up and you carry know, on, push it down? I did all this in the 90s. The world, yeah. I think different. now, yeah. it's a whole different place. At that time, I felt like we were modern, advanced, and yeah. looked after and everything, but me looking back now, no way, no. you know, not even so. Even Wings course, you know, of course, there, there are um, – the Air Force does have, um, they're not psychologists, what are they called, um, you know, people that... Psychologists. Yeah, um, psychologists, yeah. basically. Yeah. That, But if going to see the psych is a very, showing a weakness. Mm-hmm. Most people in their training have to go and see the psych. There'll be something that you need help for. But you, you basically become, it's that feeling of becoming a little bit of an outcast every time it happens. Yeah. And there's not many people that make it through their career without going to see one. But at the same time, um, the more you go, the more likely you know that you're on your way out. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not. Mm. While the help is there, um, yeah, they're very uh, not like they would be in today's time. You know, it, they're not very, not that helpful. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I guess, you know, there's very good reasons to, to go, and, and one of them would be to actually help you learn coping mechanisms. Yeah. But uh, equally, if it's seen to be a negative, then yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a, 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 and yeah, seen it by a negative a by everyone. Mm. Like, so you know, um, so Wings course, you start off learning to fly the air trainer. So it's a nine month roughly course. I'm just going from memory. You learn lots of different styles of flying, okay? So, um, there's general handling, which is just normal flying, which everyone thinks of what it might be. But there's also instrument flying. There's night flying. There's, um, you know, we, we learn aerobatics. Um, um, oh, there's a, a lot more. Low flying, navigation, um, all sorts. So 
each one of those is broken into a phase and at every stage there's exams as well as um, flights. Um, you basically get, uh, once you fail a flight, you get two more, you get a couple of goes um, to freshen up on your technique that needs help and then you get what's called, they call it a chop flight. <laughs> so not many people make it through without having a chop flight. If You, you know, the people that do are basically legends, um, but there really aren't um, that many people in my time that made that status. But, yeah, yeah. so you're constantly – you could be on a high one day and then you're on a low the next. And, and, and if you've got other people on a low with you at the same time, it makes it quite bearable. But if everyone else is on a high, it can be very, very lonely and, um, yeah, really tough to make it through. So you – Went through all this hard stuff, and um, you you got through one of five out of the thirteen. You're then posted somewhere. What what happens from there? And then how did you end up going overseas? Choose. Okay, so at the end of your um, course, you choose what you want to learn uh, to fly. Now, so I was so fortunate. Um, I think they did it on purpose. They put another girl through with me. Um, so we were. It was so huge to have a female um, support person. She really. She unlike me, had planned to be a helicopter her entire life. Yeah. Everything she had done in her life had lined up for her to become a helicopter pilot. And I wanted to be a Hercules pilot. Um, everything that I'd seen so far made me think that that's where I belonged. Yeah. So I put down that I wanted to fly the Hercules. She put down that she wanted to fly helicopters. Unfortunately, they saw it the other way because yeah, personality is a big thing. And yeah. so um, with Flying helicopters is a whole different lifestyle than flying Hercules. Um, My personality was more suited to the helicopters and hers was more suited to to the Hercules. So, yeah, but she still flies now. I don't. (laughs) Was that time, do you think, you know, when you got caught in trouble a couple of times, (laughs) does that characteristic, you know, just pushing that, has that helped with being a helicopter pilot? No doubt. And so she might have did everything perfect, but like... Okay, you better. She was. Yeah. She is perfect. Yeah, she still is perfect. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, no one would say that about me. Oh. <laughs> so yes, um, definitely. I was. I'm definitely more a personality that can get on um, with a team of guys, maybe, yeah. in the kind of situation that I was going to end up living. And you have in. to think fast. You got to think everything yeah, happens comes absolutely. at you. Absolutely. Yeah, take control. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So so you you then learned how to fly. That's right. So and from there, I learned yep. to fly the Sioux. Right. So the Sioux is like, um, if anyone watched MASH, it's yes. that little glass bubble helicopter. Yeah, they I still loved have them. It. They did Just for in my day. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was the training <laughs> helicopter, yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you okay. in MASH? I didn't know. No, no, yeah, no. Oh, I um, think that might have been a bit earlier. Yeah, so I loved, <laughs> I loved learning to fly the helicopter. That, um, like, that aircraft was amazing. It's only two people. You know, of course, you're doing you're flying solo lots as well, but it's like a little extension of your body. But it's a very difficult aircraft to fly. It's very manual. Um, um, so when you're flying a helicopter, anytime you lift or lower or move, so you've got the cyclic and the collective, any movement in those changes how much power you need. In that, that helicopter, you have to listen to the engine and change the power and keep it in parameters you know, so yeah. mm-hmm. it's a very difficult aircraft to fly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, I yeah, I, I did okay through that course. I made that one, um, made it through quite nicely. So, yeah, I don't remember any dramas. It's like you're being modest, like what is um, quite nicely, topping oh, class. Definitely, or? I was never no. top. I always no. did really well in the academics, of course, but yeah. um, the flying, um, I'm not a natural by any stretch. Yeah. No, making it through is good enough, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> It must be because you're a, you're a young girl from Omaru who loved riding horses mm-hmm. and then next thing you're doing a solo helicopter flight. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been crazy for you that first time, just going, oh, wow, how did I get here? Absolutely. Yeah. But even more, like when I say when we did aerobatics in the, in the planes, I mean we were out there doing solo aerobatics. You're doing solo loops. You're doing solo spins. You're, it's absolutely beyond belief incredible. You'd um, go off on a nav by yourself. You're, you know, you're flying the aircraft, reading the map, um, and we didn't have anything like GPS or nothing. Everything is looking out that window. No Google Maps. No, <laughs> absolutely nothing. You And you're just finding your points, and you're actually quite surprised sometimes when you actually find them. <laughs> and do you become qualified with 
for different types of helicopters and so on? How does that um, Yeah, so you get a rating, I guess. But right. in the military, it kind of doesn't work like that. Um, ratings just don't exist. Um, so I learned to fly that. That's my beginning course of flying helicopters, and then I move on to the big ones, so mm. a crewed helicopter, so yeah. which is a whole other world once again. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. I'm really enjoying this story. Okay. I just For me, it's just um, if any young girls in Omar are listening, not too sure – what they're going to do with their life, if you keep going, and obviously you've got natural gifts and natural talents, and it all just come together really nicely, and you had a really exciting or eventful life, we'll yes. put it that way. So young girls in town listen to this, they should be inspired. Like Hopefully yeah. they'll be inspired, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not an easy career by any stretch, but no. I would encourage anyone to give be, it a go. Be your personality, again, suited it, the challenge, mm. the don't tell me I can't do it, you'll you know, yeah, you're going right. to do it. That's right. And that... Dated back to mum and dad giving your older and younger sister a horse and you saying, no, That's I'm right. going to be better. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Don't try and stop me <laughs> yeah, from doing anything. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so service. Yeah. So where did you serve overall? Well, so Iroquois-wise, um, I was probably reasonably new. I think I graduated in 98 and it was the end of 99 that we were um, all of a sudden – with one week's notice, sent off to East Timor. So I was on the first lot in there. So um, we were in there before the army was even in there. So um, uh, we didn't know how long we were going for. Um, They had no idea at this stage. Uh, We were just whipped up and gone. So I think I was on the third drop-in, so basically within the first week of it all starting. um, We – I was just – I went over there as a co-pilot. So um, we had – we lived at first at Dili Airport – um, basically the Indonesians were still all, I don't if anyone knows about East Timor and everything that went on, um, Indonesians were basically trying to stop the independence of the East Timorese uh, after a vote happened and they voted for independence. But um, so You were and, there as a peacekeeper? Um, what we were called when we first went over was peace and forces. Right. So yeah, I was at the very beginning it was still very dodgy, okay? Um, there, there was still burning, you know, there was still smoke coming out of burnt-down villages. There was The villages were destroyed. There were um, still signs of the massacres and everything that happened. Um, so we lived at this airport for six weeks. Was that, We didn't know where we were going to end up. So basically we're living on an airport. We're living in tents, um, just canvas tents. We have to put like build everything ourselves, everything from scratch. Um, you know, at first there's just nothing absolutely no toilets, no showers. We don't have phone calls home. We don't have anything, you know. Um, so you build your little slice of paradise. But um, the, the airport was still being run by um, Indonesians and they were um, there was a watchtower right behind our camp, basically. Um, so they were there all day long. Um, and random things would happen. Um, there was, so one funny story just to add a little bit of uh, interest into the, yeah, <laughs> the whole not? thing. There was um, there was a time I remember once being in my tent just doing like pottering around. The next thing, some gunshots went off, and of course, it was, it's always disconcerting <laughs> when you don't know what direction the bullets are going <laughs> and um, mm. what's going on. And no one really knew. It was a really confusing time. The call around camp was it came like probably about thirty seconds later, like to for everyone to get down because we had no idea what was going on. So you're just like. Um, all slammed to the floor and just wait and see what's happening. But it turned out those guys in the in the tower had let off some rounds, whether it was accidental or what, I don't know. But that was all fine. Now, after we'd been there probably about three weeks, they had, um, we had an arrival of this incredible this incredible modern invention, an ice machine, and um, we loved the ice machine. And like the small the things, oh, it. the yeah. small things just become the hugest things. Anyway, this ice machine, when it let off its ice. Sounded exactly like bullets. Oh, when it drops to <laughs> <laughs> And there was this time you you've got to think what our um what our showers might have been like in those days. Like they were, we built them ourselves. They were disgusting. You'd have to wear shoes basically to stop the mud <laughs> seeping into your um. You'd come out messier than you went in basically. But anyway, um, one day it was the girl shower time, and we're all you know yeah. <laughs> washing away and the ice machine went off and the whole sound ran around the camp for us to get down <laughs> and yeah you can imagine the rest I don't want to go into any more detail but um yeah that's just one of the the little experiences of joy in a place like that mm. so you're you're at that base um 
So you had army there as well? In the end, the army came and they settled in Suai, okay? okay? So we moved to Suai after six weeks, after all of the effort. I had even started paving outside my tent. I mean, I tell you, we went all out. Because you're only doing, let's say, you might go flying for an hour a day. Yeah. But you've got a, a long time in that place. Um, Do a bit of landscaping. Totally, we did. Yeah. Yep. So... Um, Next thing, we had to move to Suai, which was basically taking over this old maize or cornfield. Like, it was just completely covered in dried maize up to your chest. And, like, we had to clear that and build another camp. So, yeah, start again after right. six weeks. <laughs> that was so the army could come in and yeah. be part of what The army doing. was nearby. They didn't live with us. Yeah. Um, we're always two very separate places. The army's... Um, the Army's version of following the rules compared to the Air Force, Air Force's version of following the rules are two very different things. Explain. Well, they're a lot stricter than what the Air Force are is. Are they really? Absolutely. I thought it would have been the other way around. Then. No, no, absolutely not. There's maybe, no maybe, way I would join the Army. <laughs> maybe the Air Force can <laughs> hop in their aircraft to just go away. If yeah. Get, no. Yeah. No, it's... Um, yeah, I would have thought that they were would provide defence, but you did your own defence yeah, for sure. around your base. So we have um, a whole trade devoted to that, air security. So, right. yeah, for sure. But we'd also have turnabout doing that as well. Um, so sometimes we'd be on duty, but not often. If mm-hmm. you'd done something naughty, you'd be on duty. Yeah. And, and so you were on duty a few New Year's then? Eve, yeah. 1999. <laughs> I saw the year 2000 coming in. Why being on duty, duty. yes, yeah. yes, indeed I did. Well, the rest of the camp had fun. Fun, and yes. you were on duty. Yes, yeah. indeed. So on, on your various sorties um, each day, so was it taking army people around the place, dropping off and picking up and those sorts of things? What yep. did you do? So that sort of thing, definitely. Yep. There'd be lots of different sort of things. So sometimes you'd be, um, you know, um, dropping them off to, you know, strategic locations to do whatever they needed to do or picking them up and bringing them out after they'd been there. Um, a lot of... Um, Taking seniors, um, like East Timorese seniors, for meetings, um, medivacs, so going and picking up wounded. Um, and whether they were soldiers, um, Australian or New Zealand soldiers, or whether they were um, East Timorese, um, or, you know, could even have been Indonesian, it didn't worry us. Whoever needed to come out, we'd go and get them. Um, we did, you know, there would be a lot of supply runs and things like that, but, yeah, just that was the main gist of stuff that happened, yeah. Aerials, putting up aerials. Very risky. Um, absolutely, at the beginning it was. Yeah, yeah. very. We so, shot at things like that. Or? Do you know? Nobody would ever like officially. There'll be absolutely no record of anyone ever having that happen. I was junior when I was over there, and um, so nobody really listened to the juniors. So, um, on my side of the aircraft, once, and the guy behind me was junior as well. Um, the crewy, because we had two crewies, usually only five with one in New Zealand, but over there they were manning the guns on either side. Um, and so the guy beside me, I was just like, I have absolutely no doubt that we've just been shot at, but the guys on the other side of the aircraft couldn't hear it, mm. and the guy behind me completely confirmed it. But we were junior, yeah. and it's never been it's never been recorded. Right. Mm. Okay. You just hear that, that thing, exactly yeah. like you'd imagine, yeah. and you're just like, there's nowhere else that could have come from. Yeah. There is just, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Mm. So you said you went in um, as co-pilot. Did you work your way up to pilot? Yeah. yeah. You have to. Yeah. There's no way you can go, like, learning in the Air Force never stops. If I was never going to become a captain, I would never have been allowed to stay there. So, you know, um, you have to advance. So I was, first time I was in East Timor, it was September 99 through till March 2000, and, 2000. and then I went back and carried on and did everything I needed to. You become different versions of so you start off as a d category and then you build up c category b category a category um as soon as you're a c category you're counted as a captain so i did all that and then went back for a second time east timor i was a captain yeah very good and so yeah did you did two tours essentially yes yeah and um anywhere else that you've served yeah for sure um bosnia yeah but like going back to East Timor the second time was so different. Okay, so by the time I went back the second time, it wasn't tense. It, people, you, we had air conditioned shipping containers. Yeah. We had beautiful showers. We even made flushing toilets. You know, um, luxuries. Well, they are luxuries. <laughs> you know, at they the beginning, are when you don't have them. Yeah. Well, I, you, the toilets at the beginning were like these, basically like the um, a blue 
plastic drum, okay, all lined up. You think of a whole bunch of blue plastic drums lined up together with just this sort of sack that dangled between for your own sort of privacy. Brilliant. There'd be this hole in the plastic drum and you'd have, um, yeah, just these chemicals in there. <laughs> and that would be how it was. And you'd stand up and put pull your stuff back on. You'd say hi to the person next to you, and you know, um, and just carry on. But we all had to have turns about, like, cleaning all that stuff out. Just because I was a pilot didn't mean I didn't have to do the horrible duties. So, well, I didn't realise mm, that. I thought, yeah. Always, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And so I, had, I was on one day when they had a um, complete uh, system explosion when we were sucking out the... Um, it was your job to... Uh, I was on the machine that you didn't suck on, suck yeah. off, and there was this big fellow on the hose doing the um, sucking of the stuff. <laughs> and, and like, you can get a pressure build up sometimes with <laughs> blockages. Yeah. And we started to have a few minor problems. And anyway, the hose blew off the machine. <laughs> and so who got covered, you or him? Both. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, when I went back the second time, there was flushing toilets. So you can see how amazing that was. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, a few friends in the Army, and I think they went later and – and it was sort of like, oh, it wasn't too bad. And sometimes they got flown or they would go down to the beach for half a day. 100%. And, and you know, and they're just like, that was it. But We had parties even. Yeah. It was incredible. I remember once going to, um, we got this um, demanded, I was actually really sick this day, but I got absolutely had made to go to this meeting. It was called a flight safety meeting. By that stage on the second tour, we had the Chileans there as well. And they were up in Dili. So we were going to Delhi for this flight safety meeting. I was so ill. There's no way I should ever have been flying a helicopter. But, um, was it self-induced? Not at all. No, no, but we didn't party like oh, that. Oh, no, no, not no. often. Okay. okay. Yeah. This um, yeah, it was just a, alcohol a was actually banned. Okay, yeah. But it did every now and then. I mean, when we first started, it yeah. did. It was sometimes. But um, no. So flight safety meeting, Chileans, they um, basically had um, set up a whole bar and they'd named it after me. And so it was an unveiling of a bar. It was no flight, flight safety meeting whatsoever. It was called Three Squadron Kelly's Bar. I don't really understand any of it. I just turned up to this thing. I was too sick to be part of it. Mm. So they had made me a special um, cot in a, in a room. Mm. Now this room um, just like, I, this room was an armory. So I was surrounded by hundreds of weapons, and of course you have to have an armoury locked all the time. So I wasn't just in a special room. They had actually locked me in this armoury. And you remember I was very ill. They were partying very loudly, and I um, couldn't get anyone's attention to get out when I needed to get out, desperately needed to get out. So <laughs> I ended up like, and I, we all, of course, carry Leathermans and things, so I, um, I remember unhinging the door, um, trying to unhinge the door, just using my, yeah. yeah, and I unhinged all of one side and I was like, thank God I'm going to make it, I can do this. And I tried to um, lift the door off, but unfortunately it just didn't quite work. I had to go down and unhinge the other side as well. <laughs> and it was absolutely disastrous. Um, yeah, so there was lots of fun times. Um, so they invited you a party in your yep. honour. They yep. named a bath after you in yep. your honour, yep. and then they locked you in the armoury. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's completely. Now, why did they name a bar after you? It's got. I a, have no idea. Sometimes you end up suspicion. You get, no. a, of course, you get a little bit famous, don't you? Just a little bit. You're famous because you're a bit of a rebel, or you're no, a female pilot. No, because they probably didn't have Chilean female, female pilots. pilots. You know, I was probably quite, you know, yeah. to them, an interesting thing. You know, that's great. Yeah. Did you know that, Gary? No, I didn't know I that. Didn't know that. No. Yeah. You so. could go over there to Chile, and you could be like. They probably have female probably pilots now. They probably a statue of you or something. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, hilarious. Yeah, you could be famous over there. <laughs> should name a bar after you, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it has to be a dry bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, probably yeah. True, true. Just juices and smoothies. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Where was up to? Bosnia. Bosnia. We're Bosnia. heading off to Bosnia. Right. Right, Bosnia. So that was the beginning of 2002. And um, I pretty much um, went over there with five other guys. So I was the only Air Force rep at the time. Um, it all sounds very exciting and like it's going to be very amazing. And it was. Never think that it wasn't. But it's very, very lonely as well. So um, ended up in a camp run in Banyaluka. Um, basically, you're living in, um, uh, they call it container city. Um, everything's just shipping containers. You just live in a container. And I had to share with another woman. Um, the camp was run by Dutch, Canadian and English. 
but there were a few countries from around. So there was um, Italians and um, Americans and all sorts. Um, there, I was in charge of looking after um, the airspace in in Bosnia. They had a low low level air weapons range, and so you had to coordinate. Um, so that's where the only place in the whole of Europe we could come and drop bombs. Okay. Um, so I was the coordinator of the airspace to let the Italians or the French or whoever was coming in on their, la- on their jets and they'd just come into this range low level and let drop off bombs and I'd make sure that they were safe. So where were you? You had to, uh, you're based somewhere and you coordinate yep. all of them. Absolutely. Did, do you have to, were they all speak English or did you have to learn a bit of Italian um, and French? No, I didn't directly. All I was coordinating was the airspace. I wasn't the air traffic controller. So right. yeah, they, they had, um, what I looked after was a bunch of things called tactical air control parties. Yeah. So they're the ones that target the weapons and say when it's safe to drop. All I did was coordinate yep. the entire thing, safety from Europe for that kind of level, Europe level. <laughs> If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, I mean, a very different environment. And I think, you know, you, you, we see things in movies and so yeah. on, but I guess experiencing it and living that life where you'll be probably full on when, when it's busy, but yeah. equally a lot of, a lot of downtime, downtime yep. and, like you say, lonely time and yeah. so on and probably missing family and yeah. all those sorts of things. At first, yeah. Yeah. But then, um, nah, you settle into it. Yep. Six months flew by. Right. I ended up travelling all the Eastern Europe. I had a ball. Went to Gallipoli for Anzac Day. Um, about seven of us trudged over and did that. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, we went to, on the weekends, um, went to uh, Croatia, so Zagreb, a lot. Um, one of the guys that came was a um, territorial army, and his normal job was policeman, but he brought his wife over, and she lived in an apartment in Zagreb, so... We'd quite often go there on the weekends. Um, I got to do um, sailing the Croatian coast with the um, because, of course, for English serving there, it's a really common thing for them to do. So they have to look after their people really well, and they actually owned a sailing ship. Um, so lots of times you got to go and do stuff like that, and I got to just piggyback off that. I met this lovely man um, who um, was in charge of the Black Hawks at the Americans. Um, looked after and basically he had um black hawks on call so whenever we wanted to do something we'd just call in a black hawk helicopter it would come and land and everyone would be like why is this helicopter coming into the camp we haven't you know it'd be like it's okay it's just picking me up and i'd be off (laughs) no no it doesn't really work like that no no no. but i was in a black hawk a lot do you you ask your uber driver if you can drive his car for well if you've got a license to drive ubers you know maybe you can push it yeah, no, it's, it's some, yeah, because it's, it's some pretty amazing countryside over there and, and yeah. coast and so on. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was it's beautiful. Great, great to be able to mm. take the opportunity, I guess, it's, mm. it's, well, whilst you're doing all that other stuff. You have to. Yeah. You've got to make the most of it when you travel halfway around the world, don't you? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, any other adventures in your during your service? Or of did, was that the. Yeah. Never ended, really, did it? Um, well, I came back from there, and so I. Wasn't at that point I came back and I became the Dunedin recruiting officer for a couple of years, so that was really awesome. That I was missing home by that stage mm. a lot. So did you give up? No, oh, no, or it all complemented each other. It's how life is when you're a pilot, you mm. get posted off at times. So, me triggering the Bosnia posting triggered me being on a ground job for a while, so okay. that was my ground job. Um, I went through at that time, I, I ended up. Marrying that guy that was the um, black hawk, yeah, (laughs) and basically, but we went through a breakup, and so it kind of triggered a wee time when I wanted to leave the air force. Um, so I but I got myself back together, I ended up in Wellington, and um, I was I was the coordinator of the annual plan for a couple of years, and then I went back flying again in 2006. Um, it was never the same going back, things had changed a lot. Um, I hadn't flown for let's say by that stage four years. I found it really hard to get back into it, but I did it again. Did mm-hmm. it for another year, but then just I, I just lost the the drive. And at that stage, it got discovered that I had melanoma in my eye, and it was all over anyway. So. Oh well, so that yeah. ruined your career in the air force or flying? 
future yeah 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 not not air force wise i carried on with the air force i did some other jobs and um i started to commute a bit um between omaru and the air force probably towards the end of my career but i did the full 20 years yeah Mm. so you've done 20 years yep sure did when did you get out 2012 was about my end date but um i was on maternity leave at the time i did whatever it took at the end not don't count that as having the child but you know what i mean like i was on leave or whatever just to fill in um, those final few years, because I'd started to just really get a bit over it. But yeah, mm. yeah. Wow. And any other interesting jobs you got along the way while you were uh, in the Air Force? People you met? Yes, of course, always. And um, I mean, like, of course, I like governor, um, governor generals, and um, yeah. So I do talk about how I went to the governor general's birthday party once, and it was a private, personal birthday party. Um, I did, I, I wanted, you get to be an aide-de-comp, right? So you work with the Governor-General for a year. And I applied for that job a few times, but I never quite made it. But a good friend of mine did. And um, her birthday party happened to be on the same day as the Governor-General. So along you go to Government House and have as, a... As you do. As you do, yeah. Stay the night in Government House. I, it's absolutely incredible. Night, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely unbelievable stuff like that. Yeah. Um I've war games in Washington DC. Um, my training in the helicopter, you get to travel a hell of a lot for um, doing your um, underwater escape training. So we did that in Seattle. Was the normal place to go. So okay. um, uh, we, oh, I don't know. Gosh, so much. I, yeah. I don't even know how to yeah. really spill it all out. <laughs> no, it's it's been a fascinating part of your life, I'm sure. And um, you, yeah, just appreciate you sharing some of those stories with us. So thank you for that. Yeah. I'm always up to talk to anyone who's interested about joining the forces, of course. Yeah. Yep. Except the army's too tough. Yeah, I wouldn't go there. <laughs> yeah. I talk them out of it at yeah. time. Yeah. And I, I think the good thing for us is um, the, the role that you've been able to play here as an ex-service person and, um, you know, the, the involvement with ANZAC uh, Day and um, broader than that now, the RSA uh, resurgence that's happening at the moment, and mm. I believe you are leading part of that. Yes, yeah. I've been um, I've been nominated. You know, as my um, our president. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. president, um, interim president. I like to say yes. Gary's right. Like um, people like yourself who've gone out and you you know you've done great things and you've seen the world. I just love that people are coming back to North Otago mm. and bring their skills and their time and their talent and investing. And you've started a business and you're um, you're doing with RSA. So thank you for doing that stuff. You you know it's, it's really good to see, and that's what makes our community great. You know, is people um, who've done so many amazing things who just come back and invest into the community, mm. and that's what it needs. Our community needs a lot. It needs a lot of broad picture big picture thinkers you know people who can come back in and just add what they've got so there's just nowhere like no matter where I lived nothing felt the same as what it feels like to be here you know I like there is no place like home and that's um pretty much how it always was for me I have two questions for you I don't know if Gary's got any two two the first one have you got back into horse riding have you bought a horse yet got a wee farm you have I did yeah so I still and I still do have two horses yes and I did get back into it and um, more dressage these days I didn't do any jumping so um but at the moment I'm in a bit of limbo they're not living close to me but I'm going to try and bring them back soon and the last question I have for you is um it must have been tough being a female in the air force doing what you were doing how did you handle that um, I think honestly, and I don't know whether this is worth saying, but how I handle things is probably a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Sometimes it's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. Yep. Yep. Did you get treated tougher or the same? You aren't ever part of the team. Okay. When the going gets tough, you, um, you stand aside. We've got this. Kinda. Um, Yeah. I, you're just not one of the boys and you can try and act like you are all the time and you can um, there were some amazing people that were always inclusive and always made sure that I was um, as included as possible but when the going gets really tough you are not one of the team and yeah so to do that all kind of yes. alone yeah, makes it yeah, yeah much mm. harder yeah well I'd feel safe flying in a chopper with you anywhere yeah good hopefully the three of us can go up one time are you still able to I haven't. I never went um, went on once the melanoma happened. It was oh, all. I okay. just gave up. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I, I I could give it a go. 
Yeah, yeah. I, wouldn't feel I could safe. talk no. you. I could oh. talk you through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's but been a while. But Gary doesn't it. listen. Yeah, <laughs> what's this button do? Yeah, true. <laughs> Can we get an ejector seat for Gary in a helicopter? That would be mm, awesome. Yeah, no, just kick, kick him out the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we'll drop you off some to yeah. somewhere along the way, no, probably from yeah. you know five thousand feet. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Anyway, no, look, thanks, Kelly. Really appreciated you coming in and uh, telling some of the tales and so on of uh, what you've done over the, the years. It's, it is one of those stories that I think is, is quite um, inspirational and for young people out there to know they can come from you know, a background of just you know, not, not really necessarily having an ambition but then actually getting into a position where you know, it was absolutely a, a wonderful career that you've had. So, you know, well done on that. And um, you know, now you're in business locally and contributing back to the community in different ways. And we really appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. No problem at all. Maybe we'll have you back on another time. <laughs> another good story. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Gary, that was awesome, wasn't it? It was very good. Very good. Love hearing that story. Um, I just, yeah, we've got so many interesting people, but um, just Kelly, I, I think she's quite um, humble. She doesn't like the title legend, but we can bestow that upon her. Do we have that? Um, can we yeah, decree no, that? Look, I think what she's done is legendary. And, Absolutely, you know, it, yeah. I mean, anyone who's gone, you know, served the country served overseas the country. and, yeah. um, you know, helped you know, create a, a better world because I think, you know, those particular conflicts she was involved in yeah. were really difficult times for those countries. But, um, you know, we, we played our part, well, our service people played, played their part yeah. to actually make, um, make them better. And that's important. We've always had people, you know, through the wars or willing to serve the country and, you know, risk their lives. Um, I just thought it was encouraging any young girls out there, you know, you might have been the young girl at school not knowing where you want to go. You might have a little bit of a rebel side in you and pushing boundaries. You can go on and do something great. And I think that's a good takeaway from this podcast that it doesn't matter what you're doing in school, there's always a pathway. There's always something you can go and do and achieve and you can end up walking out a captain in the New Zealand Air Force. How, how fantastic is that? It's great, isn't it? Yeah. No. Right. So thanks very much, everyone, for joining and uh, for listening into this podcast. Yeah, and we'll catch you all next week. Cheers.